You are listening to the Twibbly Podcast, or This Week Was Way Better Last Year. Comedy podcast looking back at This Week in History. You can find us on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Podbean, or wherever you like to get your podcasts from. You can find us and or message us over on Facebook and Instagram using TWWWBLY. Hey, welcome back to Twibbly, or this week was way better last year. My name is Bill with one L. With me, on a hot summer night, he will offer his throat to the wolf with the red roses. It's Mr. Jeff McLarge-Huge. I bet you say that to all the boys. <laughs> What's up? Oh, man, I've spent part of my day reading reviews of stand mixers. I don't know that sounds super exciting to the audience, but... For the You're... love of all the creatures, big and small, how old are you? <laughs> <laughs> uh, right. Well, we've already established that I'm either a thousand years old or I'm not. As the audience knows, I cook. As you know, I cook a lot. I, I'm always excited to make things from scratch. So as I was preparing for my daughter's birthday, I made a ton of food from scratch. And in the course of making that ton of food, mm-hmm. I destroyed my stand mixer. Also, my hand mixer which was taking over from my stand mixer. I burned out two motors trying to make all the food that I made for her birthday. And I made a big devil's food cake from scratch with chocolate buttercream frosting, also from scratch. I saw pictures and I was very disappointed at the very low level of vulgarities that were on her birthday cake. <laughs> I did contemplate writing swears all over her cake, but I decided not to because I, I actually, the history that I have with making birthday cakes for my daughter's birthday is... I call them future therapy topic cakes because <laughs> they're probably going to be a topic in a therapy session sometime in the future for her. Either I do something dumb like f- try to frost them when the cake is still warm and then turn it into a big mangled mess. Or I wait until the cake is nice and cold and I frost it and it looks beautiful and I drop something on it like all my plates, <laughs> which I've done. Or I try to draw a picture of Elmo and it looks like Elmo the serial killer. Or I misspell stuff or like I just have this terrible history with making cakes. And usually I make a box cake. And this year I didn't want to make a box cake. And I said, I, you know, next year you're making a box cake. Next, next year you're making, you're going to be 18 next year, Meg. You make your own cake. It's funny when you start thinking like, I wonder if buttercream frosting is supposed to smell like burned electrical motor. That's really weird. (laughs) Cause that's what it smelled like. And, and I don't know if you've ever smelled burned electrical motor. But it oh, smells yes. terrible. Yes, I, well, it has its own smell, really. It does. Um, it smells yeah. like somebody's starting a bonfire of CDs. <laughs> like that's what yeah. it that's what it smells like. It's awful. Yeah, burning wires. I've uh, I actually <laughs> at work one time. <laughs> such a ding dong. I don't remember the order of everything that happened. All I know is that I left the brake on with the motor running and went to brake. Okay. Right. Next thing I know, the fire alarm is going off because my shop is completely full of smoke because I burnt out the motor and, you know, whatever the brake is made out of, burnt that out too. And it just (laughs) filled up the thing. The fire engines are coming down. It's like, you know, it wasn't a fire. It was just a burnt. Yeah, I'm a ding dong. 
Yeah. Well, <laughs> fortunately, there were no fire engines that came to my house, and and my equipment lasted just long enough to finish what I was making, and then you know, having fulfilled its role, it went off to uh, appliance heaven. So I was reading reviews of stand mixers, and I've learned that all stand mixers are broken. They all fall apart. Nothing works on them. They're not well designed. Things keep snapping off. This thing didn't get shipped on time. And I've decided that much like Yelp reviews, I'm just going to ignore reviews and buy what I know is the good stuff Uh and try and do it that way. Yeah, people tend to not write reviews when they're in a good mood. Right, exactly. Even the good reviews are like, it arrived on time. Okay, that's good. Do you make anything with it? (laughs) Did you even take it out of the damn box? But the bad reviews are like, my cake came to life and it ate my dog. Like, what? well, that's a problem. Like, what are you using for ingredients in your cake, you know? Or, or somebody's like, yeah, I, I make 77 batches of cookie dough on a Sunday. 77 batches? The thing probably committed suicide after the 30th batch. Like, get me out of here. Like, what the hell? What hell did I end up in? All right, so this is going to be the week beginning April the 4th. But before we get the show started, I have my very popular and always very well-received trivia question. Jeff, I picked out an easy trivia question for you this week, or at least okay. I think it's easy. I think it's going to be easy for you. All right. Well, we'll try. All right. There is a Monkees song. It charted in the States. It charted in England. But it had two different titles. In the States, it had one title, and it was called, in England, Alternate Title. Uh, Oh, oh, uh, all right. You know what? I know this one. Okay. So the question is, what was the name of the song in the United States? And why was it called alternate title in the United Kingdom? Ooh, I know that too. Okay. <laughs> well, the listeners will have to wait till the end of the show. This is going to be a sample heavy episode of Twibbly. So what do we have for our first day? April 4th? Well, knowing it's going to be sample heavy, I think that I should refer to you as DJ Billy Bill. <laughs> I hope you don't, actually. <laughs> All right, DJ Billy Bill. Our first day, April 4th, 1981, the 26th Eurovision Song Contest takes place and ends, mercifully, with the winner being a song called Making Your Mind Up by a band that I do not believe went anywhere else called Bucks Fizz. Love can hit the top, you gotta play around, but soon you will find that there comes a time for making your mind up. Yes, it's a ta- now I bring this up not because anybody has heard this song, and I'm sure the people uh-huh. in Europe who are like, "This is the greatest song of the year," and then immediately like, "Could you march them out into the ocean?" Right, and then they immediately forgot this song existed. Uh, I wanted to talk about the Eurovision Song Contest just as a thing. Whenever people talk about ABBA, okay, yep, and and I know your love for the band ABBA. Yes, I love to not listen to ABBA. They're one of my favorite bands to never listen to. <laughs> but, I mean, ABBA's success is undeniable. I collect and... none of their records. None. <laughs> <laughs> but, as I was saying, their their success is undeniable, though. And the only thing I really know about them is they were the Eurovision contest winners. And I don't know what the hell that even means. Please explain the Eurovision contest. So, take all the drama and excitement of the World Cup. Okay. Already we've lost half of the audience to Twibbly when I say that, but it's an overly complicated, continent-wide version of American Idol where songs are pitted against one another in a sort of bracket uh-huh. until the number of votes are cast by audiences all over Europe to make one song win among all others. 
Now, you may not realize it, more than just ABBA have come out of the Eurovision Song Contest. There's also Celine Dion was a Eurovision Song Contest winner. And the most recently, the band that seems to be all over the hard rock and alternative charts, Manskin, who won in 2021, who is an Italian sort of described as a skeezy hard rock band from Italy, who sort of looked like there was a cloning program that stole some of Dave Navarro's hair. <laughs> and just cloned Dave Navarro four times or five times, and then I was just watching the YouTube video of that of the song "I Want to Be Your Slave," mm-hmm. and it looks like the natural progression of like what would have happened to Human League if they, you know, <laughs> had been magically transported forty years into the future and knocked down to the minor leagues, the human minor leagues. <laughs> so. Katrina and the Waves actually won the Eurovision Song Contest like way after the fact of them being famous. Yeah. So it's yeah. not like an up and coming band thing. There are right. bands that end up competing for national reasons and other reasons and stuff. Sometimes after they have already charted with some song or that some members of the band have been in other bands that have been famous or popular. There's an element of theatrics to it. There's a bunch of politics that's part of it. It's like a big, dumb deal. (laughs) (laughs) Did you see who won in, I think it was 2006? It was like this Finnish death metal band called Lodi or Lordi or something like that. I think they threatened and or murdered every other contestant because there's no reason a band like that would have or should have won so without I, some element of threat so the way the way that it works is like your country votes on your band right so it there's a lot of nationalism that gets dropped into this that makes this okay. happen um, europe weird and and yeah exactly it's the weirdest thing and and i think that i don't know if it's proportional voting so like a country with a smaller percentage of people has a bigger vote which is why like abba wins and canada wins and because they have fewer people but their votes are ex- expanded because of that's it. not an argument against the electoral college. I don't know what it is. <laughs> I went back and listened to that Lordy song that they won with, yeah. and it has all the like the horror. It, they look like Guar, but they yeah. like the silver platters from the Bloody Brady Bunch. Like there's nothing <laughs> going on in that song, but it's funny to think of this thing that is just. It's been going since 1956. It's got to be like a post-war. Like this will keep the Germans and French from killing each other. What we need is more like croony type music <laughs> to pit it up to solve international disputes it's worked so far so let's not uh right let's, yes let's not risk it all right moving on to april the 5th april the 5th 1978 a short-lived uh cbs tv series called the amazing spider-man debuts which i loved when it was on tv i remember watching because spider-man has absolutely been my favorite superhero as long as i've been alive and I just remember almost like an audible slide whistle of disappointment watching it <laughs> because because he didn't swing. He didn't have webs to swing from. And whenever he, he like threw the web, it was just like a bunch of like clotheslines tied together. It was awful. I remember that a lot of the episodes ended with like the waka chica, waka chica, waka chica music and him hanging underneath the helicopter. Yes. A lot of the episodes ended that way. And then he never fought any supervillains. The closest he got to a supervillain was Christopher Lee as the leader of a cult. But Right, 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 right. You know, that's like the silver age of superhero TV, right? There was Hulk, Marvel. Wonder Woman. Wonder Woman, DC. Too, yeah. Right, it was at that time too. 
There was a short-lived Captain America that was going to be a show with Red Brown, but the, they ended up making two TV movies that were atrocious right. that were on. There was the Amazing Spider-Man. They brought the Hulk back for a couple of like movies with Thor, and they're still trying to figure out how to do special effects and things and, and make them interesting, and they just didn't know, so they made like detective shows. With, it was like a detective show with Spider-Man in it. All those shows had like this common, huh, watch this, thread, where... Ah. Where the only intellectual property they seem to have paid for was the character itself. Right. Because, like, you would think that, it's okay, okay, we're going to make the Amazing Spider-Man. All right, we're going to have the lizard? No, you can't have that. That's extra money. (laughs) Dr. Octopus? No, 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 no. You bought Spider-Man. That's it. Hey, can we have the things where he swings from building to building? (laughs) No. I I think part of it, too, is like, look, if we do Dr. Octopus, how are we going to do his tentacles? I don't know. All right. Well, if we do the scorpion, how are we going to do his, like, scorpion sting tail? You know what? I'm not sure. I don't think we can even do that. Well, how do we make, you know, what was his name? Nicholas Hammond, right? That's the guy that played Peter Parker. How do we make Nicholas Hammond swing from building to building? We can't do that. (laughs) It's 1978. We don't have that technology. you got to come back when we have computers that can do this kind of stuff, you know, in 35 years. If I haven't brought this up before, and if I have, I don't care. I'm doing it again. The Brady Bunch. You already mentioned the Brady Bunch once. Uh, I did. The Brady Bunch Spider-Man connection. Uh, Nicholas Hammond, yes. Well, Nicholas Hammond played Spider-Man in these movies. Yes. But he was also the big man on campus right, in the when episode when Masha gets Marcia. hit in the face of the football. Right. Yes, gets her nose broken. Yes. Oh, yes. my nose. Oh, my nose. Very famous. Right. Now, fast forward years later, right, to Fox Kids Spider-Man, which okay. is arguably the best cross-media representation of Spider-Man. Okay. Fox Kids ran for about five seasons in the 90s, right? Now, the guy that did the voice for Spider-Man on that series was Christopher Daniel Barnes. Yeah. And he played Greg Brady in the Brady Bunch movies. Oh. Is that the one that had the theme song by, was it Joe Perry? Yes. Yeah, I think I watched the first season of that when it first aired, and then I, I either went to England or I moved they're so yeah, super, I remember. I remember the show being really, really well put together too. They're super good, and they're all on Disney Plus, which I understand your kids unwittingly subscribed <laughs> you to. Yeah, yes, they did. Which I, which your daughter gave herself as a birthday present, apparently. Yeah, apparently, yes. I'll have to check it out. There are some other versions of Spider-Man that have come out that have been. I mean, not. I'm not counting the recent spate of films from Raimi all the way forward. Have been, you know, sort of this landmark for special effects and superhero storytelling for each of the different Spider men that there have been for the times that they were released but there have been some other animated stuff like didn't they do like a spider-man not spider-man 2000 but ultimate spider-man and some other stuff was there have been a number of spider-man animated series and i've tried to watch them all some of them are good some of them are horrible the one that mtv did was the animation was beautiful it was all cgi Mm-hmm. But once again, the only license that they seem to have bought was Spider-Man. There wasn't any supervillains in it. I, th- I think they did Electro, but they really rewrote the character. Uh, um, one of the better ones was called Spectacular Spider-Man, which was out right before Disney bought Marvel. Even though the animation style wasn't my favorite, the stories were fantastic. They were That was probably the best representation story-wise of Spider-Man. I still go back and every now and then I watch the... The Ralph Bakshi ones from the 60s, and I watch, if I can bump into it, Spider-Man and His Amazing Friends, which is the one I like remember the most from being a teenager. 
Yeah, th- those are on Disney Plus. You'll be happy to know. I don't know about the one from the '60s, but the one uh, Spider-Man's Amazing Friends are. I just watched it like two nights ago. That's where I first saw Wolverine was on that show. That's where I first saw Submariner. All right, moving on to April the 6th. April the 6th, 1930. Hostess Twinkies are invented by bakery executive James Dewar. Do you like Hostess Twinkies, Bill? I could live without them. Um, <laughs> I mean, I'll eat them. I won't, like, put it in my mouth and then, like, make believe I like it. I mean, they're they're okay, but as far as Hostess goes, mm-hmm. I like basically everything else they make. I think about Twinkies and I think about the weird path that s- snack cakes as a thing have taken from when I was a kid until today. Where today they're like, are you sure you want to eat that? Like, I know this isn't an apple, but you can, you, it's probably all right if you just eat one of these. <laughs> like, that's the kind of the way that people handle Twinkies and stuff now. It's never like, I'm all right, I got to make lunch for the kids. I'm going to make a bologna and cheese sandwich. I'm going to throw in a bag of potato chips. I'm going to, oh, I got to put a Twinkie in there and some strawberry milk. None, none, of, none of those things should be eaten. <laughs> yeah, like everything you just said, there's a little bit of nutrition involved. Like bologna, okay. Uh, there's got to be something in there. There's probably right. some pro- protein right. in there somewhere. And right. then potato chips, well, hell, there's potatoes, right? At least right. one. Potatoes are a vegetable. Yeah, you know? sure. And, 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 then, and but Twinkies, like, it's just this, like, vat of chemicals that... <laughs> Roughly tastes like food, I guess. Yeah, yeah. technically not even baked. It's the strangest snack cake ever. Again, when I was a kid in the 1970s, like that was the standard issue for lunch. It was just there. It was one of those things. Everybody brought them. Everybody had them. Yep. You know, in high school, everybody had Little Debbie snack cakes. They were part of everybody's lunch. Yeah, I think we had a contract with them, yeah, you know? at, the, at the school. Oh, my God. I lived off the fudge rounds. Right? Now it's like I see them in the supermarket. I'm like, they should put these behind glass. <laughs> like, like, is there an age limit on buying these? Because you shouldn't buy these. These aren't good for you. <laughs> a, a funny story, not specific to Twinkies, but definitely specific to snack cakes, was when my son was younger in elementary school. We had gone through a winter where the school principal had just started using the software to be able to call and send messages out to parents when school was canceled due to snow. And it snowed like a foot of snow every other day for three months straight. It was crazy. Yep. So I would be standing outside with Ian, waiting to see if my phone would ring for them to tell me that there was no school as snow was falling from the sky. And I started joking with him that the messages from the principal were getting more and more desperate as the year went on, right? Yep. And and I was saying things like, you know, this is the East Dairy Elementary School uh, because of the weather, school has been canceled again. I'm so sorry. Please send your child to school tomorrow with some ring dings or ding dongs possibly king dongs those are fine because that's what i need to survive on right now and it's really important that your child bring those uh, 12 pack of those to school to give to me it's required now and i had this whole riff like and ian thought it was really funny and what i didn't know is he thought it was so funny he started doing it on the bus to his friends uh-huh and then they started doing it their friends Oh, no, you went viral. So come springtime when the snow is all melted, I'm at a school function. Like, they do, like, a spring fling thing. It's a pizza party and stuff. So there's 9 million kids, and everybody's screaming and yelling, and I'm going through line to get pizza, and there's the principal, and he turns around and he looks at me, and I said, hello, and he goes, ring dings, huh? (laughs) (laughs) And I said, excuse me? He goes, ring dings or ding dogs. And I was like, oh, yeah, you heard about that? He goes, People brought them in. And I was like, you, come on now. And he's like, it must have traveled. Your son must have been doing it for dozens of kids because it went all over the place and people brought him in as a joke. <laughs> all right, moving on to April the 7th. 
April the 7th, 1795. 1795, Jeff. 1795. France adopts the meter as its standard unit of measure. 1795. Oh. When the hell is this godforsaken country going to get on the shtick and join the rest of the godforsaken planet and use the metric system? It's going to happen eventually. We're just going to get overtaken because so much mass manufactured stuff is done in other countries that use the metric system and have used the metric system for dozens upon dozens of decades now centuries centuries is it this this just makes so much sense to me the only thing that americans know in the metric system is the two liter bottle of soda (laughs) yes now i work as a machinist okay and everything i do is in the imperial system that's right. everything I know. And I've been programming for a long time. Right. I am willing to unlearn everything I know and relearn everything in the metric system just so that this country can just make sense with the rest of the world. And it would help my job out uh, tremendously because drill sizes, because we don't just work for companies in America, we work for companies right. all over the world. And their prints come to us with, you know, stuff that we have to translate from metric into English. And drill sizes don't always translate well, you know? Nope. There's not always a drill size in Imperial that matches up with the with its metric equivalent. I'm somebody who likes to cook. I pull recipes and stuff down from the internet all the time, and I watch a lot of YouTube videos about technique. And a lot of the people that I watch for things like bread making are not from the United States. Right. So I'm there with my pencil and my notebook to take notes on, you know, making rye bread and the host who's showing the recipe would say like, right, we're going to begin with 500 milligrams of flour. I'm like, damn it. I, all right, I got to try convert that. And then, you know, half a liter of water, like, God, oh, son of a, I'm going to convert that. And then I have to go through, it takes me an hour to go and do all the, you know, complicated mathematics to figure out that I need two cups of flour or thereabouts and one cup of water and one tablespoon of, the, like, just... I wish we could just do it all in metric, so I don't have to do that anymore. I remember arguing with, uh, we all have one friend, and I think you're that one friend for me now, that just absolutely hates math. I hate math. No, I don't hate yeah. it. I'm just not good at it. Oh, so. well, this one friend, it was, I hate math. And I was like, well, dude, if you can count to 10, you can do math. And if you can't count to 10, you have fingers, you know? <laughs> And then he was like arguing against. We talked about this some months ago about the, right. the um, about base twelve and stuff like that. Uh, right? <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. And now the same. I suppress people, those memories, Bill. Yeah. I'll have you know the same people that will like red face themselves arguing against the metric system will also argue against base twelve. It's like, well, inches to foot isn't base twelve. You dickhead. Yeah. How do you figure they came up with the meter and that was 100 centimeters? Or is it just that it was 100 centimeters? Or was it more like, uh, hey, Francois, how much (laughs) rope do you need for this guillotine we have built to kill Louis XIV? And he's going to say, about uh, 25 meters. And you go, how long is a meter? I don't know where it all started, but it all goes together like a wonderful puzzle. Leaders and meters can all be converted within each other. Even their freaking temperature scale works within with everything else. Everything handshakes its own. I hate the imperial system. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. <laughs> 
All right, moving on to the 8th. All right. Uh, April 8th, 1966, Time Magazine, at the time the largest magazine in the United States with the highest circulation, runs a controversial cover, one of many they've run in their history, with the question uh, emblazoned across the front, Is God dead? Wow, that's not controversial at all. (laughs) And a month before, if you remember your history, Bill, that uh, John Lennon (laughs) had said that they were bigger than Jesus. So people were still burning Beatles records at the time the Is God Dead cover came out. So I'm going to guess his his response was something like, I think God's pretty big, but he's not as big as we are. Because they're not burning his books, but they're burning all of our bloody records. I'm not going to talk about whether God is dead or not, because, you know, you don't don't mention your competition, do you? Did you listen to the songs backwards? It says Paul. Paul is dead. Don't you understand? It's Paul. Realize they sound a lot alike. Uh, Interestingly enough... Uh, the Jehovah's Witness Watchtower <laughs> on December 10th of 1980 ran a headline that said, Is John Lennon dead? <laughs> oh, circulation for that one's a little harder to get, though. Yeah. I'm going to let people into your house. Uh, not in my neighborhood. Yeah, that, that's left in my mailbox every other week. <laughs> we have a no soliciting sign in our neighborhood, so that, that oh. tends to keep them away, much like garlic and <laughs> garlic and crucifixes do for the vampires. Uh, so I ended up writing the local Kingdom Hall a very, honestly, a very polite letter saying, allow me to save you some stamps and envelopes. Do not come here or write me letters anymore. Effectively, you verified your address for them. Uh, yeah, essentially. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so moving on to April the 9th. April the 9th of 1800, laughing gas or chemically known as nitrous oxide, Mm. is first suggested as use for anesthetic by English scientist Humphrey Davy. Oh, hi, Davy. (laughs) I enjoyed my experience of being dosed with laughing gas at the dentist, even though I had teeth pulled. Uh, It was an experience that I don't remember the teeth pulling as much as I remember the two ducks flying over my face. For, for the 25 minutes it took for them to pull my teeth. I've only had two dentists in my lifetime, and neither one of them were down with laughing gas. Oh, mine was like, oh, you want this to be pain-free? And I said, I guess so. He's like, I got stuff. I'm like, all right. And it cost more, but it was worth it. It was like buying a, an upgrade to first class on a plane <laughs> for the dental trips as they go. Uh, God, not my first dentist. My first dentist must have like been on the same ticket as like Doctor Kavorkian. Like, <laughs> I, like I remember one time I go in there. So not only was this guy like not really into the whole laughing gas thing, but one time I was getting this one tooth like filled or whatever it was, mm-hmm. and he's like, "Hey, we got this new thing, and it's not really gonna numb your whole face up, but your tooth may be tender, you know, afterwards." Yeah, right. my whole face hurt for like four days. <laughs> Tender was not the word I would use. So the next time I went in there, I was like, hey, uh, next time you want to hit me with something new, let me know because I'm going to go like smoke crack out in the parking lot so you don't like try to kill me. Oh my God, that hurts so much. <laughs> I like the story of um, Davey trying to sell laughing gas as, a, as an anesthetic because he was doing it at the same time I don't know the guy's name, but the guy that was trying to sell ether as an anesthetic. Uh-huh. And that guy was doing all of these events, in, you know, like in a surgical theater, like you see in old horror movies. You know, we're going to cut off this guy's leg. and uh, But first, we're going to put him to sleep with ether. He won't feel a thing. 
you know, and then I give him ether and he projectile vomits for five minutes and then he almost dies and then he goes to sleep and they cut off his leg and they ask him, did that, did you feel anything? He's like, I felt like I was going to throw up. Well, you did, you know, but you're like, now your leg's gone. And there was a competition between the two of them for a while. And Ether ultimately kind of won out because this dude was like so much ahead of getting in front of doctors. But I don't know that it works anywhere near as well as, as nitrous oxide does for anesthesia. It certainly doesn't have the same side effects. I wonder if the guy that invented Ether is the one that nicknamed it laughing gas as a, you know, as a way to like... It doesn't make you laugh, but it makes you like super euphoric. And as somebody who's taken it, again, yeah. in that setting, I was like, this is amazing. You can blow my teeth. I don't care. It's wow. What a day. There's beautiful ducks, you know. My only experience with laughing gas is, you know, the rite of passage of doing whippets. You know, uh, that's about yeah. it. I had it done. I had used it once at the dentist and I could, I, at that point, I understood uh, the dentist there, Scrivello in from Little Shop of Horrors. Hold on, kid. <laughs> I wanted one of those things that he wore on his back so I could just have it <laughs> pumping that into me all the time. Like, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> Because it was, it really does make you feel like weird and funny and happy. All right, let's wrap up the week on the 10th. Uh, April 10th, 1849, Walter Hunt patents the safety pin. And he sold the rights to the safety pin after he patented it for 400 bucks, which in 1849 money is about 400 bucks. <laughs> From what I'm reading over here, the safety pin was actually invented like two and a half millennia before that, 2,500 years ago. Yeah been around for a long time yeah yep but again it's one of those like you, you know first one to patent first one to patent gets the recognition i i owe that guy a debt because without his patented safety pin punk rockers in the 70s wouldn't have been putting him through their ears and noses which wouldn't have given me the idea when i was 20 to do the same thing which i wore <laughs> for like 12 years as an earring i'm over there thinking like 2,000 years ago, like Caligula has got a, a safety pin through his nose. It's not a stage, Mom! <laughs> Sounds like me talking to my, my daughter who wants to get her septum pierced. No, not till you're 18, and then I can't stop you. But safety pins are great. Still useful even today. It's one of those rare inventions that can't be improved upon because it's so simple and so effective for what it does. Did you ever have a safety pin through part of your body as a, you know, an old aging punk rocker like I am? I have never really had anything pierced. No earrings, no nose rings. I've never had no nipples. I've never had anything pierced except for I did this. This I, I always had to be like one, one step ahead for a, a day and a half because I didn't want to risk ripping it out because that would have sucked. I did pierce the web of my hand in between my pinky and ring finger on my Why? right hand. That must hurt with a magnitude that not even laughing gas could make go away. Why yeah, on did, earth would you do that? Because nobody else had one. <laughs> well, that's, yeah. that was, that's where I worked. No, that was the level I worked at. So <laughs> It must have oh, caught on absolutely everything. <laughs> yeah, I like... I had to sleep with I had to sleep with a rubber glove on. Yeah. Oh my god. No, I wonder. You know what? Maybe you know. Maybe Michael Jackson had one of those. Maybe you were copying like, him. Yeah. I was like, this isn't worth it. <laughs> so yeah. no, no, that's that's not good at all. That's no. Uh, no. I think we should. I was young I and we, stupid. I think we should just talk about celebrity birthdays now because I'm going to have a hard time processing that as an image for the rest of the day. All right. So celebrity birthdays. April the fourth, nineteen sixty-five. Somebody who I am told looks like me. <laughs> uh, Robert Downey Jr. He looks nothing like you. No, he looks exactly like you. Uh, well, you look exactly like him. 
Unless you were born before 1965. I was not. Yeah, Robert Downey Jr., I think we all know him best as Iron Man. He does have other movies besides the MCU, but... Why bother? Uh, no, um, <laughs> I liked him. He was he was a, a favorite actor of mine. Uh, you know, as part of the you know the eighties Rat Pack, I guess you could say from Weird Science and yep. Back to School. I I liked him. Of course, he had his troubles there in the nineties, but. Wow, what a, what a comeback kid. He's set for life. He is indeed. All right, April 5th, 1926. Cheapo monster movie producer extraordinaire Roger Corman, still alive. I don't know if he's still producing films, but Corman as an industry still is. And you may know him from such terrible films as Dementia 13, which is, a, I think, Francis Ford Coppola directed, believe it or not. Piranha. And that one I Battle, know. Battle Beyond the Stars and a whole host of other ones. More recently, Sharktopus and some of the other stuff that went direct to the Sci-Fi Channel. But he has like 9 billion films under his umbrella. So happy birthday, Roger Corman. Oh, he was in the original Little Shop of Horrors with Jack Nicholson. Yeah, he produced that, that, yeah. Uh, Moving on to the 6th, April the 6th, 1952, the very beautiful Mary Lou Henner, who I think most people would remember as Elaine. I think her name was Elaine on the TV show. On the TV show Taxi. Elaine Nardo. Yeah, Nardo, that's it. Yep. You know, she did some movies. She was in... Johnny Dangerously. Yep. With Michael Keaton. What a freaking hilarious movie that is. Probably the best thing Joe Pisco has ever done. <laughs> Close to the only thing Joe Pisco has ever done. One thing about Mary Lou Hanna that's super interesting is she has a quote-unquote condition called hyperthymesia, which means she has total recall memory. She can remember details of, like, everything from every day of her life since she was a small child. Yeah. That's insane. That sounds like yeah, a just, curse. More than Yeah. Anything. I mean, how much of a curse could it be? Most of us just remember all the bad stuff. Well, hey, that's the thing. Remember, that's, remember that stupid shit you said in the eighth grade? Because I do. Yeah. Yeah. You said it on January 3rd at 725 p.m. <laughs> While we were talking on the phone, and I just watched an episode of Friends, it's like, ah, oh, jeez, I don't need that much specificity for my failures. That's what I mean. Never fail the history test. It's true. All right, next up. April 7, 1964, Australian actor Russell Crowe, who hasn't been in a lot lately, but for a while was like the reigning superstar of Hollywood when he was in Gladiator. Huh, was he ever? <laughs> was he ever? And uh, was in some other stuff that wasn't as well received, although it's very good, like Master and Commander. He did some like weird light comedy type action stuff and some other things and now he's kind of in like lower budget direct to streaming films but i think a lot of dudes are anyway yeah i I think the the pandemic you know kind of like leaned everything in that direction i'm looking at his imdb right now and i'm fairly sure i don't think i've ever seen a movie with him in it i know who he is (laughs) i can't really get away from him but i don't think i've ever seen any of these movies i first saw him in romper stomper when i was in england and that was the first time i also saw tim roth which was a fantastic film and that's film that got him a job in the quick of the dead produced by sharon stone because she like she loved him in romper stomper oh i think i've i think i've seen a beautiful mind okay there's one all right, moving on to the eighth uh, Canadian comedian, born in 1946, Stuart Pankin. I think if anyone's going to really remember him, it's probably going to be from not necessarily the news. Although whenever I pulled up his IMDb, he's been in a bunch of stuff. Yeah, I remember him in uh, Dirt Bike Kid. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he was like a character actor who was in a ton, ton of stuff in the uh, 80s and 90s that... 
that was on cable TV. Yeah. He was also in this weird movie that I, I know I didn't dream called Love at Stake. Yeah, he was in uh, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids and Honey, We Shrunk Ourselves. Yeah, he always plays like little bit parts. It's not like he has like a real big part in most of these things. He was the voice of Earl on Dinosaurs for that whole run of that yes. series. Yeah, he was. Yeah, that's the father, right? Right. Yes. Yeah, and he had like bit parts on you know TV series like Gold, Golden Girls and stuff like yeah. that. But yeah, it was always like a character actor, super funny. Yeah, it's almost like a shame that he wasn't bigger. But you know, sometimes that's the way things work. He was funny in the Dirt Bike Kid. <laughs> Don't ever watch that movie, people. It's terrible, but he was funny in it. All uh, right, yeah. All right. All right. Next April, up. April 9th, 1954. Again, another actor who was very popular for for a while, and then sort of his popularity waned is Dennis Quaid. He was in oh, yeah. Dreamscape which I don't know that anybody remembers, but it was a pretty good virtual reality movie before there was virtual reality. He was in The Right Stuff. He was in Inner Space. He was in Enemy Mine. (laughs) Dennis Quaid is one of those things where his brother is Randy Quaid. Yeah. And prior to Randy Quaid being like cuckoo bananas and not allowed in this country anymore, people were like, oh, Randy Quaid. Oh, yeah, that's Dennis Quaid's brother. Now Dennis Quaid has become Randy Quaid's brother. Right. Follow me? Yeah, Yeah, the non-crazy one is how people describe him. All right, and wrapping up the birthdays, I asked myself a question some time ago, and thank God for the internet. You know what the Willem scream is, right? I do. Right. The Willem screen is a Hollywood sound effect that you hear in a lot of movies. Star Wars uses them all the time. It sounds like this. Doesn't that sound familiar? Now, <laughs> yes. I, I said to myself, I wonder what this guy looks like. I wonder who this is. I wonder who voiced the Willem scream. And much to my surprise, it was somebody famous. Oh. Yeah, the Willem scream was voiced by birthday boy, born April the 10th, 1921, Sheb Wooly. Now you're saying to yourself, I don't know who that is. I wasn't even sure how to spell it. That's how, that's how little I knew that name. Well, Shep Wooly is the guy that voiced the Willem Scream, but he's also the guy that sang the Purple People Eater song. Oh. Everybody knows that song. He had one eye, and, one horn. Um, yeah, yeah. And he also wrote the theme song, and he was a cast member for the TV show Hee Haw. <laughs> One of our cultural exports to rival the Eurovision Song Contest. Yeah, and more than once, more than once, the TV show Hee Haw would feature the worst song ever. Now, uh, Jeff, Bill? Uh, we kind yeah we kind of pissed right through the celebrity birthdays because we had to make room. <laughs> we had to make room. Because this week's worst song ever comes from what may be the worst album ever. It definitely feels like an album that was recorded in almost one whole afternoon. (laughs) Almost. I had one of the worst hours of my life in recent memory (laughs) today. Because the song that we have picked this week is a song by Buckner and Garcia. And the song is called Pac-Man Fever.
not, Jeff. This is not the worst song on the album. In fact, it might be one of the best songs on the album. Yes. After going back and listening to this whole album, I agree with you. But that's like saying, like, well, this is the least runny shit in this piece of shit that I dropped. The best case of diarrhea I've ever had in my life, yeah. <laughs> and I'm sure that this is, like, this record came about sort of something, a conversation like this. Hey, Buckner. Yeah, what? Kids like video games. Yeah, they do. Want to make a record about them? And we'll just say the name a lot of the video games that the kids like? I think that that'll make us a zillion dollars. And it did. And that's what it was like. You're not far off, okay? Now, let me tell you about my day. Uh, On Spotify, Buckner and Garcia, which, by the way, that is a Mandela effect because I could have sworn it was Bunker and Garcia, but it's not. It's Buckner and Garcia. Yeah, Buckner. Yep. I always thought it was Bunker. Anyhow, Bunker and Garcia on on Spotify have an album called Pac-Man Fever 30th Anniversary Edition. <laughs> and oh boy. This album has every song from the original, which we'll run down the list shortly. Okay. But in between each song, they, they like play the song, and then they play the song again with commentary. So Pac-Man Fever came about what happened was is uh, bunker and garcia were musicians quote well you know arguably and uh, they wrote uh, they used to Fair write enough. like j- yeah they used to write jingles mm-hmm. for like local businesses and stuff like that and they had a couple of songs you know jingles like lying around and like you just said hey kids like video games let's you know write this song they shopped around this pac-man fever song to a couple of record companies and all of them like turned it down so they like and rightly so i might add yeah yeah because they're not crazy but so they self-produced it and ended up selling some other copies and then cbs records came along and they were like we want you to put out a whole album (laughs) i'm sure they they went back to the vault and they're like all right let me see here uh we've got a jingleheimer ford we can change that one to a song about centipede we've got downtown merchants bank jingle for the radio station we can turn that into a song about robotron (laughs) You are really not far off, right? (laughs) No, I know. They got contracted to record this album. And they wanted to stick in a couple of songs of like their own songs within the album. And the record company was like, no, 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 no. All the songs have to be about video games. And don't get your hopes up about putting out any other albums because it's not going to happen, right? Right, so right. the the album, by and large, is really short. It comes in just under a half an hour. And like I said, not the worst song on the album is this Pac-Man Fever. The very next song is called Froggy's Lament. <laughs> yes, it is. Which is about Frogger. It is. And you've played Frogger. There's not you a know. lot of subtext to that. Like, I don't know how you draw... Well, actually, I, I now that I've listened to that song, I know exactly how they built that song. There's nothing going on in this game. So we'll sing hop left, hop right, hop forward, hop back. <laughs> That's kind of the whole song. And listening to the commentary was hilarious because the guy was like, we wanted this song to be the second single because we felt really strong about this song. It's like, have you listened to it? Because... <laughs> The next song on the album is called Ode to Centipede. And in a rare uh, occurrence, I'm actually going to play a clip from this song, too, just because you have to. We should definitely do that, yes. You have to hear this. I understand now. You want to play 
Under six minutes long, okay? That's the free bird of 8-bit video game songs. Ugh. Yeah, I was just about to say, it's like I guess they must have like got inspired by Yes or something because, yeah. <laughs> and it's yeah. like literal, like Centipede's not a very complex game. Nope. You know, listening to the commentary track, he kept on going on and on about how this was his favorite song on the album and he thought it was one of the best ones. And it's I don't know what you like for music, but right. it's, it's like... This song, this album is so freaking hilariously bad. And then the next song ended up being the second single. It's called "Do the Donkey Kong." He was like, I, the the guy doing the the commentary track, which is the the bunker of yeah. the uh, of the two, because uh, uh, the guy, the other guy's name was Gary Garcia. And, it's super uh, he, creative parents he had there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Oops. <laughs> What was Buckner's first name? Was it like Buck? Buck Buckner and Gary Garcia? <laughs> no, Jerry, actually. Jerry Buckner. Uh. So, at any rate, uh, Gary Garcia passed away before they could do all the commentary tracks. <laughs> so, it's just Jerry Buckner doing the stuff. So, whenever he's doing the commentary track on Do the Donkey Kong, he's like, you know, we released it as a single, but... It didn't really sell because people just wanted to buy the whole album instead of this. It's like, no, because the song sucks on ice. That's why. I mean, the audience for these singles isn't general audience. It's They're absolutely, utterly like little kids records. You, I don't care how you slice it. That whole record is a little kids record. Yeah. My and, friend Craig, who was like a couple of years younger than me, he had this album. He had it on cassette whenever it came out. And even as like 10 year old kids, whatever the age difference was, whatever, mm-hmm. average age, 10 years old, even 10 year old kids were listening to it and were like, this isn't good. This is not good <laughs> at all. No, nope. Some of my pubic hair fell off listening to this song. I, I was, I just grew those. <laughs> I was working on that, you jerk. <laughs> oh my God. It's regressed me out of puberty. I don't like girls anymore. I was like, <laughs> I taped this song off of WCOZ. On my the boombox that I got for Christmas when I was like eleven or twelve years old. Yeah, yeah. Right before I recorded "I Love Rock and Roll" by Joan Jett and the Blackhearts from the same show, and then this song Go was on. gone from the from the. I mean, I taste the tapes up all the time. This yeah. song was like I think I heard the very last one. It's like seeing the very last dinosaur. Oh, there goes a Gallimimus, and then you'd never see one again, and no one ever does. But, like, I think I might have heard the last play of this song on Earth, uh, intentionally or otherwise, on terrestrial radio, and recorded it. And I hated it then. (laughs) It's very 80s sounding. Like, if you go back and watch, like, a lot of 80s movies like I tend to do, especially, like, what I call titcoms, you know what I mean? The, the, the The rated R comedies from the 80s that were basically just built around trying to get girls to you know do nude scenes right you know like the revenge of the nerds and that that genre of movies yes every song on this soundtrack sounds like the background music in those movies <laughs> yeah and it, it does. wouldn't surprise me if they did the the music for those movies but i mean knowing that they're jingle guys i can see how they adapted the sort of jingle style to 
these particular tunes because they're structured in a way that, you know, it's like verse, bridge, chorus, but it's very short, like you'd have for a 15-second or 30-second radio spot. And it just repeats them over and over again, the same way that a jingle repeats. Yeah, there's a lot of repeat lyrics in all of these songs. Well, yeah. I mean, these quarter munch of video games at the at the time weren't exactly, you know, highbrow entertainment. They were, you know, they were made to keep the people there for a maximum of three minutes. At, like, put it this way. The song is longer than most people played the video games for. Yeah, it's, it's like video arcades are like hopeless Las Vegas. There's no way you're going to get any money back. <laughs> <laughs> you can put quarters in all day. You'll never get a quarterback unless for some reason the game doesn't start right. You know, yeah. <laughs> there's no hope you're going to win anything. Rounding out the album, uh, the tracks, they had other songs that were about asteroids. They had another <laughs> one about, about Defender. <laughs> yeah, which is, is my pick of literally the worst thing ever recorded by human beings on planet Earth. Maybe the reason that aliens invade us and wipe us out as a species. That's how bad that song is. <laughs> Yeah, it's going to come to pass because the, that's like what's going to happen to the planet is exactly what happens in the video game Defender, yeah. which which postscript the hardest video game of all time ever. Yes. You may as well just throw the quarter right in the garbage. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Uh, two more songs on the album were Mousetrap, a video game I have never seen in any arcade ever. I think that song was about the game, the tabletop game. I went through and no. I did it. Uh, no, that's a video game. They had it on ColecoVision. Yeah. God, all right. I but thought for sure was, he was talking about the, the game game. No, that's a that was an arcade game. It was available on ColecoVision. I've never seen it in any arcade. He says, I don't think the game was very popular. I don't think your album's very popular. And then, <laughs> We're just making games up. By the, I'm sure the executive's like, what the hell is this song about hyperspace? That's a, that's a game. That's a game. Yeah. It's not one of our original songs. We wouldn't do that to you. Okay, fine, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> and then last but not least was a song called Going Berserk, which yes. was about Berserk, Berserk, which was such a simple video game that the Atari 2600 version of it was awesome. <laughs> it was almost identical to the to the console stand-up version. That's how good Berserk was, yes. Right. And every song included sound effects from the arcade uh, games themselves. Which they had to actually just record by hand. Right. So there's a rumor that you can actually hear somebody ordering a sandwich if you listen carefully, but I, I didn't hear it. Uh, the only thing that I'm curious about, and, and this is, I'm not even so curious as to get the answer today or ever. And so just consider that is like, how the hell did they get the licensing rights for like, it would have been Williams and a couple of other companies, Nintendo, Namco, Tato, to be able to use the sound effects from these games in these stupid songs. I think the answer to that question lies in the year where it's 1981. It's not that copyright laws didn't exist, but I don't think this country was as lawsuit and lawyer heavy. I don't think it's this country. I think it would have been like, I think, you know, Tato's Japanese company. Right. Namco is Japanese company and yep. certainly Nintendo with the Donkey Kong song. I'm sure they would have been like, get the legal department down here like right away. Yeah. But like I said, I think we're talking about like the time frame and not only that, but the Donkey Kong song is do, 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 which is not an original composition. Right. All right. Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. Maybe, maybe they all figured like, Hey, you know what? This is better publicity than we could have asked for 
let people listen to these crummy songs. They'll keep keep gambling. <laughs> they'll keep they'll keep putting in quarters, thinking they're going to get something rather than two minutes of frustration. Yeah, this so. is free advertising for us. Right. Exactly. They may make five hundred dollars, but we're going to make hand over fist more money because of it right uh, didn't these guys get brought back to do a song for the Wreck-It Ralph movie right they did the theme song to Wreck-It Ralph which was a big uh, a love letter to 80s gaming yes and they also uh, they also just it's credited to Bunker and Garcia in 2021 even though Garcia died in 2012 there is a uh, a single that they just released last year under the Bunker and Garcia moniker. I think they just want to do that so that they all have the name recognition. Right. Or, or you know, because it goes into the same Spotify account. But they actually did a song called Them Angry Birds. <laughs> yes. Hooray. And next, I'm sure they'll be doing like Wordle. Wordle the Turtle yeah, yeah, or some something. It's Candy Crush Saga, the song. They released another song in 2010 called Keeping the Dream Alive, which I don't know, man. Bunker Garcia, you had one fluky hit and it wasn't good. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. They could always fall back on writing jingles. So it'd be like, we're Bunker and Garcia. Remember Pac-Man Fever? Well, we think of what we could do for Horowitz's Ice Cream Parlor, huh? All right, Jeff, at the beginning of the show, you were all excited because you were convinced that you knew the answer to the trivia question. And I'm pretty sure you do because I know you're a big Monkees fan. I do. I am a big Monkees fan. Let's review. There was a hit song by the Monkees. It charted in the States and it charted in the United Kingdom. Yep. And it had two separate names. In the United Kingdom, the song was called Alternate Title. What was the American uh, name of that song? The American title of that song is Randy Scow's Git. Okay. And the second half of the question is, why was it not called Randy Scow's Git in England? Well, okay. So I'll phrase it this way. If the Beatles had released a song in the United States called Alternate Title, and on Meet the Beatles, they had a song called Alabama Redneck Dipsh**. <laughs> It probably wouldn't chart here in the States with the original title. So Randy Scow's Git is, it's technically, it's like horny guy from Scow's Jerk. Scow's is a place. Randy, yeah. Randy means horny. Yep. Scouse or Scouser is like somebody from Liverpool. Yeah. And Git is a fool. Yeah. So a Randy Scow's Git is a horny Horny old old fool. fool. Yes. She's a wonderful lady and she's mine, all mine And there doesn't seem a way that she won't come and lose my mind It's too easy humming songs to a girl in yellow dress It's been a long time since the party and the room is in- Yes. And if you say Randy Skalskit in England, they understand it. So, yeah, you can't really name a single that, not in... Not in the 60s, anyway. Not in the 60s, anyway. So, again, it's it's regional. It's like got regional slang in it that is unflattering. So it was not right. named because it probably couldn't have been said that way on the radio in, in the land of BBC One and Two. Um, it's one of my favorite of their compositions. All right. But that is going to wrap up the show for this week. We will see you back here in about seven days. Say good night, Jeff. Good night, Jeff. Bye, everybody. Bye, guys. A special thanks to James Costa for our theme music. Find us or message us on Facebook or Instagram at Twibly or T-W-W-W-B-L-Y. Subscribe if you haven't already and tell your friends. And better yet, 
throw us a ranking over at the Apple Podcast app. A five-star ranking.